Well, good morning. It's uh, good to be with you this morning as uh, school year starts and summer sort of, it's not over till the middle of September, but anyway. I'm Tim Garner, if that really matters much. I retired from uh, here in May of 22 as the adult faith development pastor, and I was asked to uh, speak today because the real preachers of White River Christian Church, they're going to do a reality show, real pastors of White River Christian Church. Uh, we're on a brief retreat this week, earlier this week, to hone their skills and think about themes and messages for 2024. Yes, that's around the corner. So Andrew reached into the bullpen and uh, made the call and got the old guy out. They, I guess they figure they, I got a couple more innings left in me. Um, but then I realized from the theme verse why they really chose me because it fits me so well. The theme verse for this Bloodline series is 1 Corinthians 1, 26. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were, were, were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy, check, 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 when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who are wise. And that verse continues. So that's why I'm here. <laughs> Lastly, I get to preach on Joseph. Not the Old Testament guy with the coat of many colors, but the New Testament guy who becomes the stepfather of Jesus. This is like Hallmark Channel, Christmas in July. <laughs> right? So when Lance gets up in December and says, I love Christmas! And I get to kick off the Christmas series and preach the first message of Christmas. He can't say that this year. Isn't that great? Because <laughs> we're starting Advent the last Sunday of July this year. And we're talking about Joseph. This Bloodline series, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. There's this interplay between God's sovereignty and man's humanity free will. And sometimes the obedience of people like Boaz or Josiah or Zerubbabel cooperating with God's plan allowed that plan to flourish and the nation was blessed. And then there was those folks, there were those folks like Sarah and Solomon and uh, Rehoboam, who took it all into their own hands, and their free will choices complicated the provision of God, the plan of God, the purposes of God. Not saying God couldn't handle it, I'm just saying life goes so much easier for God and for us when we are cooperating, when we are obedient, when we do what He'd like us to do. So today, I get to wrap this Bloodline series up with a guy named Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus. Joseph, to borrow Chris Owens' words, is, and Chris is preaching in Arcadia this morning, so pray for him. I think it might be the first time he spoke or preached in public. Um, but he summarized it this way, and I liked it, so I stole it, because that's what pastors usually do for good sermon illustrations anyway. Um, Joseph's significance is found in his obedience. Do you hear that? Joseph's significance is found in his obedience. And all the characters of the bloodline, we can say the same thing. 
Their obedience is what determined their significance. If you want to be insignificant, run around the world without God. If you want to have no purpose for eternity, then just do it without following the commands of God. So we're going to pick up this story in Matthew chapter 1. Go there. We've been going there every week. And this whole genealogy thing, I was surprised we could make genealogy interesting. But it is interesting when you get beyond the names and get into the characters. Starting with Abraham in 14 generations, then to David in 14 generations, and then the last 14 generations. And we pick up Joseph, as it is on the screen. Eliud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Matan. Matan was the father of Jacob. And again, New Testament Christians, this isn't Jacob of the Old Testament, okay? This is another Jacob, all right? Jacob, we don't know anything about him other than that right there, or what's on the screen. Jacob was the father of Joseph. Catch this, how it's worded is so clear and so important. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. If the pattern would have been established, Jacob was the father of Joseph, and there wasn't something unusual going on. It would have said Joseph was the father of Jesus. Mary probably wouldn't have been listed. So right from the beginning, Matthew makes this very interesting by saying this extra stuff. Joseph's the husband of Mary, but it doesn't appear that he's the father of Jesus. Can that be true? Well, now we have to read on to figure this out. Who is Jesus? Excuse me, who is Joseph? What are we going to know about him? First, we realize that he is from the genealogy, the house and line of David. Don't have time to get into all of that, but because he's from the house and line of David, that means God is fulfilling a promise through Joseph that he made to David 900 years before, that you will have a Messiah, you will have a king on the throne forever. That's tucked in all of that. Luke's version of the story says that Mary and Joseph at the time of the census, now I'm testing your Bible memory, right, went from Nazareth to Bethlehem for for Joseph was of the house and line of David. Bethlehem, David's hometown, he had to go to where his family was from, but that puts him, Joseph and Mary, in Nazareth. So here's this insignificant carpenter in Nazareth, which is an insignificant town. Archaeologists tell us there might have been a couple hundred people there. Small. Everybody would have known each other in an insignificant part of an insignificant country. Israel was just sort of a thorn in the side of the Roman Empire, but it really didn't contribute to the wealth and power at all. All this insignificance. In fact, Nazareth had a reputation. If you were from Nazareth, you were from that side of the tracks. If you recall the story in John, Jesus goes to Galilee, finds Philip. Philip goes to look for Nathanael and says, 
We have found, now this is 30 years later from this story, but I wanted to set up the reputation of Nazareth. We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip said. The reputation of Nazareth surrounded the idea that during this period of time, 0 BC, uh, about in that time, as we use in our calendars, 0 AD, whichever it is, the Nazarenes earned a reputation by burning down a Roman armory about four miles away. Another dude from Nazareth, from Nazareth uh, led a tax revolt against the Roman army. So when they were saying, can anything good come down or come out of Nazareth, what were they saying? All we ever get is problems, 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 right? From Nazareth. So Joseph is from the line of David. He's from Nazareth. And we learn in Matthew 13, 35, when Jesus is speaking, the crowds are listening to him. They're captivated. And then they say, isn't this the carpenter's son from Nazareth? And that's where we get the idea that Joseph was a carpenter, probably a carpenter after his father, who was probably a carpenter, because that's the way it worked in those days and still does to some degree. You just follow in your father's footsteps if you're a guy. A carpenter in an insignificant town of a couple hundred of people, a couple hundred people. Uh, tools were expensive back then. So the average family I read might have had a knife and a hammer and maybe a plow, but they would have relied on the blacksmith and the tradesman, the carpenter, to maybe build their gates or the, the yokes or uh, furniture. They didn't have an Ikea, which totally redefines handmade furniture. Uh, <clears throat> they didn't have a Godby's just down the street, right? So carpentry didn't make Joseph wealthy. He would have had a garden. He would have had uh, some farming or some animals. He, that's how he would have eked out a living in this small town. We know they were poor. How do we know that? Because when they take Jesus to the temple to have him dedicated, they do the poor man's offering. You can read about this in Leviticus 12.8 a poor man's offering of a pair of doves or pigeons. So, so far, we know a little bit about Joseph, right? Carpenter, farmer, insignificant town, eking out an existence. But I'd like to turn now to the relationship that Joseph had with Mary, and then that will help us learn about Joseph's character and faith, and maybe that will help us as well. Matthew 1, 18 and 19. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly so we decided to break the engagement quietly. What else do we now learn? 
he was engaged or betrothed to Mary. During that engagement, betrothal, she becomes pregnant. Joseph is not the bio dad of the kid in her womb. I was a junior in high school. It was 1974. Yeah, I know, that makes me really old. Um, but Shelley was the first girl that I knew of that became pregnant in our class. Now, this was just a year after Roe v. Wade legalized abortion. That's how long ago that was. She decided to keep the baby. There was a little conversation went around in my small high school of less than 500 I don't think there was a lot of gossip, at least I wasn't a part of it. We all knew who the boyfriend was. We all knew he was the father. And my naive 15-year-old brain was like, she's going to be a mom, and he is going to be a dad? Yikes. Didn't we have classes about this stuff in junior high? <laughs> and I was a little sad and shocked because I guess what they taught you in the books can actually happen. But just that story, that, that unbelievably disturbing or shocking thought of it happening out of my sequence. <laughs> you got to be a little older, you got to get married, you got to, you know, anyway. So during this engagement, what we have to keep in mind is what it, mean to, what it meant to be betrothed and what it meant to Joseph, and I'll get to his mind in a minute or what I think maybe he thought about. But during betrothal, or, or two people were betrothed when really the families came together. There was a covenant signed, a contract signed. You entered a year-long approximately process where you were called husband and wife, but you didn't live together. And in a community of a couple hundred, they were getting used to the idea, oh, Mary and Joseph, they're a thing. And the only way to break this engagement was to offer a writ of divorce. You can look that up in Deuteronomy. So Joseph is considering his options. She did what? She said it was a how? Can you imagine? Come on, these are one-offs. This is burning bush. This is, uh, you know, a parting of the Red Sea. This is like never happened before. And she's telling me, well, who's the other guy? Where is that guy, right? All this stuff that goes through your mind when you've been betrayed, you've all been there. <laughs> That's hard stuff. Some of you may be there right now. What do you do with that? Joseph, the righteous man, the one who adheres to the Old Testament guidelines, the one who wants to live a high character and high moral code life, must also be not just righteous, where he could have rubbed it in her face and made it a big public skeptic spectacle, but he was also a kind man, and he tried to figure out a way to divorce her leniently or quietly. Pharisees had interpreted the law to say that you could, you could be divorced 
not just because of adultery, but for some other reasons, and one commentator made that note. He was trying to find a way that wouldn't bring the whole family, the whole situation, to just total shame. And then at the end of the year of betrothal, there would be the party, the wedding, and physical union to consummate the marriage. However, Mary becomes pregnant. I wanted to piece together a chronology, and this isn't in the Bible, but I think it's logical enough that it should work. <laughs> Matthew tends to focus or does focus on Joseph's side of the story. Luke focuses on Mary's side of the story. So in Luke, and here's where the chronology, I think, comes into play, Luke has the angel Gabriel visiting Mary and saying, it's okay, but have I got news for you. You're going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And she says, I'm a virgin. How can that be? The angel says, don't worry about it. He's from Boston. Um, <laughs> and he explains it all. And what does she say at the end? I am your servant. Let it be as you have said. There's obedience. You said it, the word of the Lord came to her, it was said to her, she understood it, and she just said, this is all crazy, but okay. Now I think that is when she went to Joseph and said the following. Again, play along with me at home, right? Use your imagination. Imagination's a great thing with scripture as long as you don't get too far off, but you fill in some of the details, right? So Mary goes up to Joseph and says, you're not going to believe this. I, I had this crazy dream. An angel came to me. His name was Gabriel. And then she recounts all the things that were said to her. And she said, and the confirmation of this crazy, I'm pregnant with the Holy Spirit, is that my thought-to-be barren close relative Elizabeth, you know, the one... Uh, whose husband is Zechariah, the, the temple priest. Yeah, that one who lives in Jerusalem, she's six months pregnant. Or at least that's what the angel said. I'm going to go up there and see if that's true. So she goes to Jerusalem to check that out. In the meantime, okay, while she's gone, then Joseph has another reason to reconsider. So Joseph, being a good carpenter, he measured once, right? He measured the situation by what he knew the law said. And he was making the right choice according to the law. But then the word of the Lord came to him. And we'll see in Matthew 1, 20 to 25, if you have your Bibles, it was too much work for somebody to type that all out and put it on slides and all that. So you crack open the book, okay? And this is what it says. Matthew 1, 20 to 25. As Joseph, or he, considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Angels were busy. Joseph, son of David... Ties it back into the, to the genealogy, right? Son of David, the king. 
The angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, and that literally means what the rest of that verse says, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus. Greek version of Joshua, of Yeshua the saving God. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet, look, the virgin will conceive, this is in Isaiah, the virgin will conceive, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, and you literally know what that translates, right? God with us, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up as he he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Joseph's significance was in his obedience. He did what the angel said, but he did not, verse 25, have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. That's really significant. An insignificant man in an insignificant town from an insignificant country. Do you know that Israel is only three-fifths the size of Indiana? That's all the bigger the whole nation is. And all the world history that is attacking there <laughs> or comes out of there. This insignificant place other than God chose it. So, what happens? The word of the Lord came. He measured twice, and as any good carpenter, cut once. He made the decision after he knew information that was relevant. I've been helping my daughter at her house, and we put in new flooring, and then we had to put in the shoe mold. Do you know how many corners there are in a house? <laughs> I'm thankful I had the coolest chop saw. I mean, I almost tried to smuggle it home. Uh, we had borrowed it from one of Katie's friends. But every corner, 45, 22 and a half, inside, outside, upside down. But I always measured twice and cut three times. <laughs> I was so afraid, I was so afraid of cutting it too short that I always cut it long and then kept, you know, a sixteenth an eighth, or whatever, just so those corners would look good, right? In life's decisions, at the corners, at the intersections of life, measure twice, unless you just have to make a rapid decision. Measure twice, consult the word, listen to the word. An angel may have spoken here, but the word of God keeps speaking to us, and then cut once with confidence. So we see it, Joseph comes to grips with all this. Somehow, he believes the word through the angel, and they both say, whatever the gossip is, the gossip is. Mary comes back from, from her time with Elizabeth, and I believe in God's timing that this, this um, vision or this dream that Joseph had with the angel probably happened the night before she got back. Wouldn't that be about the timing of the Lord sometimes? It seems like just in time. She comes back after three months, so if you do the math, Elizabeth was six months along when she got the news. She was there three months. Guess what? She saw John 
the Baptist, who would later be John the Baptist, she saw the baby. I'm assuming that. She comes back. She says, Joseph, it's all true. Baron Elizabeth had a baby boy. And Joseph embraces her and says, we will get through this together no matter what the conversations at the little uh, village watering hole might be, no matter what the little side comments might be when we walk into the store or when somebody comes to my shop, it's okay. We will tell them what we believe and what we know because that's, there's no better story than that. And I don't mean story in a sense of a made-up thing. There's no better truth than to tell the truth. You can believe it or not, Joseph also gets the naming rights. You will name the baby Jesus. Through Joseph's genealogy as a part of the bloodline of David, he, Joseph, can pass on all the rights and privileges of the line of David through adoption to Jesus. Now you might say, well, Jesus is God's son. Why does he need any of that? Because God is always looking to complement our obedience for his purposes. I, God can say, promised David 900 years ago he would have a ruler on the throne. Now it's coming to pass. And I'm going to do it through a stepfather situation because that's the only way it could happen. By faith in Jesus Christ, we then are joining the bloodline of Jesus. We are joining this kingdom that shall never end. The one who will grow up to be our Savior and to die for our sins is here birthed in a very normal way, grows up in a very normal way, hangs out with his dad at the carpenter shop, learns those things. We don't know what happened to Joseph from about the time um, Joseph, or Jesus was 12 when they went to the temple and they lost him for a couple days. If you remember that story, that's cool too. Um, how do you lose the son of God? But anyway. Uh, but from about 12 to the to 30 when Jesus goes into his official ministry on earth. We don't know what happened to Joseph. Most people think he died somehow, but we don't have that information. But it is Joseph who works the carpenter shop until he's called to ministry. This painting that you'll see by William Holman Hunt expresses all of this so graphically and well. There's Jesus. You can see the saw on the right side. He's just taken a break. His crown is red and laid beside. His arms are stretched, and you can tell from the shadow that it looks a lot like depictions of Jesus hanging on the cross. 
If you could look really closely, there's even a peg, a wood peg on his right hand in the shadow coming as if into his wrist. If you also look at the figure seated or kneeling before the chest, that is Mother Mary and the artist says in that are gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And where is she looking? Where are her eyes drawn? This one who will take away the sins of his people, the shadow. So from birth, when the Magi come and bring their gifts and proclaim him to be prophet, priest, and king, to working in the carpenter shop and taking a break, Jesus knew that his calling his purpose wasn't just to make furniture. It wasn't just to be wherever this is. We don't know if this is... Well, they went back to Nazareth. We, we do learn that early, early on. Just hanging out in a carpenter shop. And then the Son of God is called to the cross. The purpose for which he came. He is God with us. He's all human and all God blows my mind to try to conceive of that. There's so many potential landing points for this message. But in both cases, Joseph and Mary willingly said, we are going to be obedient because we find our purpose, we find our significance in no other way but to follow Jesus, to follow the law Jesus said, if you love me, you'll follow my commandments. If you keep my commandments, you will show that you are my follower, my brother, my sister. Maybe you gravitated towards this sense of betrayal because you've been there. Obedience would say, I've got to deal with that. I've got to figure out how to forgive and move on. I've got to talk to somebody and walk through that. What if Joseph hadn't been obedient? I don't know how that would have changed the story. But he measured twice, made a decision, cut once, and then moved on, lived out his life. You might be arguing with me, well, I'd be more obedient if an angel would show up in my dreams and tell me exactly what to do. And I would say, get off your high horse, cowboy, because uh, so often in Scripture, people are told exactly by the same kinds of miracles, and then they forget about it and just move on. Sarah and Abraham are great examples. The first story we had in bloodline, right? Sarah and Abraham are promised a child. How many years go by? 20, 25, somewhere in there. <clears throat> she decides to take things into her own hands, offers a handmaid, Hagar, to Abraham so that he can have a child. Ishmael is born. One act of disobedience and not, not uh, handing, handling or hanging on to the word of God leads to the creation of the Arab people. They've been fighting with the descendants of Isaac and Jacob ever since. And then Muhammad comes on the scene in 610, consolidates a faith called the Muslim faith. And what do we have from one decision? Worldwide battles that will go to the end of time. 
So I challenge each of us. We are in the bloodline of Jesus. If by faith we have said, he went away. If by faith we can say, Christ on the cross died for my sin. He made it all okay with God. I may mess up again, but I can try again. And maybe you at some time measured once about faith. You made a decision and maybe you've walked away from that. Maybe you need to take today and measure again. Who is this Jesus? Why is he important? What difference does it make? And I would say for Mary and, Jesus, or Mary and Joseph and us, it makes all the difference in the world. Shelley, I ran into, or we ran into, at our 40th, I think it was 40th class reunion, Guess what Shelley had done with her life? While the relationship with Kevin didn't uh, last, um, she is a follower of Jesus Christ and has volunteered at a crisis pregnancy center for the last 40-some years. How do you make the choices you've made and redeem them? That's our God, the God of redemption. We sang it earlier, no matter what comes my way, I know how the story ends. I'm fighting a battle already won. You know how the story ends. We may be fighting battles with health, with relationships, with jobs, whatever. But we know how it ends. He redeems us every time. Lastly, to wrap this up with a quote from Andrew Murray, a South African pastor of well, the 1800s. He said it this way, in times of trouble or times of choice or times of life, first say, he, God, brought me here. It is by his will that I am in this strait, this difficulty. In that I will rest. Next say, he will keep me there in his love, or here in his love, and give me grace in this trial to behave as his child. Then say, he will make the trial a blessing, teaching me lessons he intends me to learn, and working in me the grace he means to bestow. And at last say, in his good time he can bring me out again, how and when he knows." Do you see the submission to obedience? Andrew Murray said it that way. I gave the long quote. There's the summary. Here I am. By God's appointment. By faith in his keeping. Always under his training. And in for his time. His purpose. So please pray with me. Father, thank you for Joseph who proved worthy of your trust to raise Jesus. Help us to be as believing, as faithful, as zealous as he was to take on the various tasks that you assigned to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.